Hey, I'm Jen Sui. I'm a certified life coach and soul whisperer, helping you unearth your true self and learn to embrace the human experience to have more ease, peace, and freedom in your life. Listen on to find out how. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Creating a Fantastical Life podcast. Today is day 11 of 12 days of breakthroughs. We are almost to the end. And I have one of my favorite people, Kristen King, on with me. Kristen King is a certified life and business coach who specializes in helping women reclaim their fucks from bullshit that they don't even care about so that they can create more space for themselves in their own lives. She helps her clients root learn the root of their sneaky patterns of perfectionism and people pleasing that are sucking the life out of them so that they can actually have a life that they love instead of the one that they got stuck with. When Kristen's done with you, you'll give way fewer fucks than you have before and have a lot more fucking fun, which you will all experience today. Um, Kristen, you have so much in your background and, and have had such an interesting journey. So anything else that you want to let listeners know about you? Um, that was a great introduction. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple other things I want to let folks know. Um, I am located in Colorado, USA. I live in Leadville, which is America's highest city. We're at over 10,000 feet elevation, which is, I know, <laughs> it's a fact, right? Um, and I have twins who are going to be 11 in a week as we are recording this. They will be 11 one week from today which is shocking to me because ever since I was 27, whenever people ask me how old I am, my automatic reaction is 27, but I'm actually 40. And so my brain finds it very, and like, I'm not sad to be 40, but my brain finds it very confusing that I have 11 year old twins because I'm still 27 for some reason. That is crazy. Um, You know how like with childhood actors, they say like you stop, um, like growing and stuff mentally and emotionally at the time of like your trauma and yeah. like acting it's like that it's like childbirth okay hold on we're gonna be seven year old self because that's more fun yeah seriously well and it's funny because I think like 27 was kind of the year I grew up it was like the year I started to like be less of an asshole and more of like a decent human being who started to like get my shit together And so I think it was like such a formative year for me that it like really stuck. But, you know, despite that, I would like to believe I have in fact continued growing and that is what led me to pursue this path. I, you know, prior to being a coach, and I know this is something that you want us to talk about. I had a a corporate job. I worked in a public health consulting firm for 12 years. Prior to that, I ran my own um, six-figure communications consulting firm. I have a background in business and marketing and digital and content strategy and mental health and like all over the place. And it's super fun. And I love what I do now because it brings all of those passions together. So good stuff. I'm so excited to hang out with you tonight. Yeah, me too. Thank you for sharing all that. And, And definitely progressing, growing lots. I've seen it hands-on for the last like <laughs> five months that we were in the mystery room together which you know we had a few other people um from that come on the podcast as well but your like fun loving nature and just like that whole side of you um shines mm. through for sure so thank you for Thanks. being on here yeah my so pleasure as 
as some people might know if you've been listening to this, this entire season of 12 Days of Breakthroughs this year is all focused on, on brainwashing ourselves from all the bullshit that we have grown up with, that society conditions us to have. You uh, focus on this so much in your own life, in your own work. And I want to start by asking you, what was something that you were brainwashed to believe about yourself, other people, or the world that you later found out was just not true? Oh my gosh. There are so many things. Can I give you two? Is that okay? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the first one was kind of like a, kind of like a, a dual learning. Um, and it was the idea that money is for other people, not for us. And that in order to have it, you have to work like really hard and like sacrifice everything or like you will never have any, but that like wasn't actually a problem because money's for other people, not us, right? So that was like the first one. <laughs> um, and then the other one, and this, this came from so many different places and I think it was all unintentional, but it was very impactful. The other one was that it's my job to make myself smaller so other people can feel bigger. And that I have like an obligation to shrink myself so other people don't feel small. Mm -hmm. Two really those, powerfully like heavy things. Yeah. And like the two of them together, like, fuck that. That was not fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious for you, how did you first uncover that conditioning? And then how did you undo it? But especially for the second one of like, it's your job to be smaller so other people can be, can be bigger. To me, it sounds like it's something that on like retrospect, you can see like, that's the theme. But what mm -hmm. were like the actual like thoughts and like the actions that you were doing that were like that um, sneaky, sabotaging stuff that you didn't realize? I can tell you, I don't, I don't remember which teacher it was, but I remember the day that I got that message and like how I internalized it. I was in elementary school. It was somewhere between like third grade and fifth grade. I'm not exactly sure where, um, but I, I have always loved school. I've like, that's why I have like multiple master's degrees. Cause I just love school. I can't stop going to school. Um, and I've always been like kind of a nerd and I'm very smart. And so I loved when like the teacher would ask a question and I would know the answer and I'd raise my hand because I like wanted to share the answer and it was like exciting and it was fun. And I remember one day my teacher pulling me aside and telling me that I needed to not raise my hand so much because it made the other kids feel bad if they didn't know the answer. And as an adult, I'm fucking horrified by that. But as a child, it was like very logical. And so I started to bite my tongue and I started to sit on my hands and I didn't raise my hands as much. And I stopped being as engaged and I tried to like cover my mouth, like when I couldn't stop myself because it was so important that my teacher had to pull me aside and tell me not to do this thing that was like clearly damaging my classmates. But I took it very seriously. And unfortunately, that continued on for, you know, most of my life, like into my career until really just like the last couple years, I started to notice how much work it was to keep myself small, to fit into places that I felt like weren't big enough for me. And it stopped, 
it stopped being okay with me. Like it required more resources than I had and was like willing to devote to that. And so I decided it was time to find bigger spaces, mm, but it took I a while. Love, yeah. I, I love hearing your um, mindset shift from like the space just isn't big enough instead of like you need to you're too big for the space and I can't oh man the things that teachers say sometimes like the things that I've heard um you know teachers and professors tell people like what yeah like that is not okay like your discomfort and lack of skill with classroom management is not the job of like a nine to eleven year old to like solve that problem for you like no, you need to, you need to handle that. And like, if you need to like scaffold your other students with like socio-emotional support, like, I don't know what that is, but like, that's not my job. I'm just here because I love school. And like, I want to, you know, have fun and participate and whatever, like, cause that's, that's what's fun for me. But like that, you know, that took a long time. And like around the same time I'd still, and, and, you know, even as, as an adult, I'd hear people tell me like, you're too big for your britches. And one day I was like, I'm not too big for my britches. These britches are too small for me and I need bigger ones. Mm. And like, that is very different. Or people will say like, you're too much. I'm like, maybe for you, but this Mm. is me. And like, if you don't like that, like go find less. Like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Like that is not my problem to solve. But for so many years, I took it on as my problem to solve. And I'm really glad I stopped doing that. Yeah, everybody write down those thoughts because those are powerful. Um, So (laughs) talking about that, when you made those transitions, what were, if you can remember, like what were the truths that you replaced that conditioning with? There were a couple things. Um, And I would say, I feel like the, the like size of the space and the size of the britches and like my size in relation to one another is probably a little bit farther along than some of the money stuff. Like I'm still unpacking some of the money stuff, although I've made a ton of progress with it. And now I've just talked myself out of remembering your question. Can you tell me what it was again? <laughs> um, what were the truths that you replaced those, those conditionings with? Yes. Thank you for repeating that. So I would say with like the space taking up, um, I think one of them was like, it's like, I am only responsible for me. I'm not responsible for other people now to like, you know, I'm a parent. So like, obviously I'm like, I, I choose to be legally and ethically responsible for my children, but outside of like keeping them alive, like I am not responsible for other people's feelings. So like, if you have discomfort, I am going to trust you as an adult to manage that for yourself. And if there's something you need that I can give to you without harming myself, you know, I'm certainly, you know, willing to consider that request, but I don't have an obligation to harm me so you can like feel better about yourself, right? So like just the idea of of unentangling, disentangling, like unmeshing myself from other people's emotions was huge. Um, And I'd say that that was honestly probably like the biggest one for that, at least in the beginning. And then I have also added thoughts like, well, like I'm the only one of me there is. So if I don't do it, who's going to? Like if I silence myself and I keep my mouth shut, there's no one else who's going to say the things that I need to say. And like, I'm here for a reason. And if I'm not saying these things, then I'm like not doing the thing I'm here for. And that's just not okay with me. So I'd say mm-hmm. those were the the two big ones on that end. Around the money stuff, um, I think some of what has allowed me to shift that um, is things like 
just giving myself permission to like imagine having things like things that I wanted when I was a kid or things that I um, saw other people have that I felt like jealous of and to ask myself like, okay, well, if I could have that right now, do I actually want it? And if the answer was yes, then I would like look for a way that I could get something or something adjacent to it. And so like the, the moment that, and this was in the last like probably two years, the moment that like it occurred to me that money actually is for me, that actually felt real. I opened the drawer in our fridge and there was this loaf of sun-made brand raisin bread. Do you remember this post? Oh, I remember <laughs> in the this. drawer with like the red wrapper and like the yellow circle with like the sun-made girl with the bonnet or whatever. And I just like burst into tears because when I was a kid, I just wanted that raisin bread so bad. I don't remember if I like saw it at a friend's house or something, but we'd be at the grocery store and I'd be like, mom, can we get the raisin bread in the red wrapper? And she'd be like, no, we're going to get this one. We have a coupon or like, no, we're going to get the store brand, whatever. And in my head, it was like, that's rich people bread. And like, it's like $3 a loaf, you guys. It's not like, this is not like super fancy, expensive bread. But for me, it was for only for other people. And it was like that kind of stuff. And like, I, and I was sort of um, like, it made my parents uncomfortable when I'd ask for things that would outside of our budget. And rather than like managing their discomfort, the tool that they had available at the time was to just discourage me from asking the question. So they didn't have to say no. And like, you know, they did the best they could. Is that optimal? No, but like, you know, they didn't like smack me across the face when I asked for shit. So like, it could have been worse, but it wasn't great because I, like, I really learned that stuff was for other people, not for me. So flashback, like sometime in the last two years, I open the drawer and I see this raisin bread and I just start sobbing. And my husband is like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? Like, did I, did I buy the wrong bread? And if so, why is it making you cry? Like what's happening? And I'm like, you got the rich people raisin bread. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Cause like, I hadn't even known that I like longed to own this bread. And like, if it had occurred to me, I would have just bought it, but it didn't occur to me because I was just so sure it was the truth of the universe. That shit was for other people, not me. And like, that was a huge turning point for me that like, no, I can actually have that shit. And like in April, I ended up buying like two Gucci belts. They were $500, Jen. And I've worn both of them for the first time in the last month because it took me like seven months to work up to not just owning it, but using it because I am still unpacking all of those pieces around the money stuff. Isn't that crazy? Oh my God. I can relate so heavily though to all of this. I'm so glad that you're bringing all this up because it just goes to show like the extent of which our condition goes and how like small like how these little, little memories really build up because it came from such a place of just genuine desire. Like I just yeah. want that bread. And then being told your desire is wrong or your desire is too much and we can't deal with that. So just shh, like sit on it. Yeah. For me, it wasn't bread. It was pasta sauce where we would always buy like the dollar pasta sauce or whatever. And then funny thing too is my partner who's also a male, um, just that kind of funny like men don't have that as much with them uh he had bought for like one of our month anniversaries this really fancy mozzetta pasta sauce which is like four dollars I think maybe six dollars something like that again not a ton of money itself but for pasta sauce I'm almost like 
why would you buy that for pasta sauce? We, we're entrepreneurs. <laughs> we don't have money to spend. And it was fucking delicious. It was incredible. <laughs> and we're like, okay, maybe we need to make a pasta sauce budget now. Like that's the solution. Not you can't have what you, what you want. Um, and same thing with the clothes. Like my mom's yeah. that way where she'll buy nice bags and they'll just stay in the closet for a decade. I'm like, okay. yeah, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do with it. But okay. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the people who like, they have the, um, the nice China and then they just like leave it in a cabinet and they never bring it out or like, no, don't use those. Those are the good glasses. But it's like, when are we supposed to use them? So like mm-hmm. the idea that I can just like, if I, if I want that bread, I can just go buy the bread. Like mm-hmm. that has been so mind blowing. Like my husband and I went out for dinner for, it was like sort of for our anniversary, but like not really. My mom was visiting. So we had like childcare and we hadn't had childcare in like three years because of the pandemic. We were like, let's go away overnight. And so we went out to dinner and we were looking at the wine list and there was a glass of wine that was like $34. And it was like the wine that I really wanted, but I was like hemming and hawing. And I was like, maybe I should get this one instead. And he's like, no, you really want that one. And then he was like, remember that time we went out to dinner and we got a bottle at the restaurant and the whole bottle with $17. And we thought we were like such big spenders. And I was like, I still feel like I'm a big spender when I spend it. <laughs> right. So it's like, it's, but, but like the ability to give myself permission to do some of these things, like that has really developed and it's probably still going to keep going for a while. Cause I still have a lot of stuff about money, but it's a process, man. It's just a process. All of it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate your honesty and authenticity in this whole journey and and showing that, you know, you can do a lot with the half managed mind kind of that concept of like, when you're still (laughs) like in that healing process, like you're not, you don't have to wait until you're fully healed to like get what you want. Like you're extremely successful in your business, in your life, um, in just like balancing things and still having the chaos of being human. Um, And I think you demonstrate that beautifully. That being said, let's talk about the intersection of like this taking up too much space and money's not for you. Uh, Tell us about your corporate job and you leaving it just like last year and starting your business and how that's been going. Yeah. So I was in my corporate job for 12 years and it was wonderful. Great company, really good work, incredible people. Like I'm still very close with a lot of them. You know, I had a meeting with my boss the other week. I still meet with my team. I still like text with a lot of my former coworkers. So like, it was not like they ruined me or something like that. And I had to flee in, you know, horror or anything, but the, the job that I was doing there, which I was really good at and really enjoyed only used like part of my, my skill set and part of the things that I was passionate about. And it started to feel kind of like when I was in school again, and I had to turn off parts of me, not because of anything that they did, but because of me, like, oh, I can't do that because it would be taking up too much space. I can't do that because that's for other people to do, not me. And it became a full-time job for me to like, keep myself small and keep my mouth shut and keep those things in because I believed the same way I believed that the bread was not for me. I believed that that's what I was supposed to do because I just carried that conditioning forward. And there was a day, I mean, I, I, I had known that I wanted to go back to entrepreneurship for like quite a while. And I had been working with a coach and kind of making a plan for it and getting done all the projects I wanted to do at my job and like building up my people. So they'd be good. You know, it's so like, this was like a long time coming. 
Um, but like about 18 months out, I hired a coach with the intention of leaving. And then I had like changed the date and like pushed it back a little bit. Cause I just wasn't ready yet. And I had pushed it back even farther than when it actually happened, because there was a day in September of last year that I was walking past the top of the stairs that are right outside my office at my home here. And I had this like thought that crossed my mind as I passed the top of the stairs where I was like, man, wouldn't it be great if I just like fell down the stairs and died in a freak accident? I didn't have to do this anymore. And then I was like, holy fuck, that's not okay. And like, I have, I'm a person who's lived with suicidal ideation, like my entire life. Like I can't remember a time that I didn't have like intrusive thoughts of suicide. Like that's like super normal for me. Like, it's not like a big deal anymore. It used to be a big deal. It's not a big deal. Um, but that day was a big deal. Cause it felt different. It felt really different. And I was like, I can't keep living like this. This is not okay. And so that night I talked to my husband, it was a Thursday. And then it was like a long weekend because it was Labor Day. And when we came back from Labor Day weekend, I had a meeting with my boss, like first thing that Tuesday morning, the first day back. And we sat down and he said, I have an agenda. And I was like, me too. I need to go first. And he said, what? And I said, I need to put in my notice. And he was like holding papers and he kind of tossed them. He's like, I no longer have an agenda. What? (laughs) And oh my gosh. he was like utterly flabbergasted, but the moment, and you know, incredibly supportive. I mean, he's, he's wonderful. He's like family, um, you know, but he was flabbergasted. And the second I told him, it was like one of the hardest things I've ever done. I felt this immense weight just like lift off of me. I felt myself like expanding to fill the space. And it was just incredible. And I stayed for um, seven and a half weeks because I'd come up with like a, an exit plan over the weekend and like what the transition would be and everything. And they were like, you can stay as long as you want. Um, so they were, you know, very supportive with the transition. And then I, and then I left. And so November one last year was my first day uh, being unemployable, as I like to say, because I do not intend to go back. Um, and I have been doing my coaching business full time ever since. I, one of my big hesitations that had me holding back was I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to like make enough money. I'm the primary earner in my family. And that was really stressful. And I had like a, you know, I had a director level job. I was making, you know, into the six figures, you know, very comfortable. And I'm very excited to report that in my first year, I have more than doubled my corporate salary that I was so afraid that I was going to lose and like ruin everything. So I guess some money is also for me, not just other people. Yes, we love um, a good comeback story and also being the human still (laughs) through the whole process. You know, for for people who are listening, I think particularly this part of, um, you know, I think if you haven't had suicidal ideation as something that you've you've kind of worked on and experienced it might be very difficult to comprehend this idea that it's kind of a normal thing um and a normal experience in somebody's life and that it doesn't have to be this like oh my gosh all hands on deck like there's something that's wrong here or this person's doing it for attention right like those are the two spectrums that people tend to go but Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of gray area on that so just to like touch upon that a little bit it sounded like that one experience was uh, very different in some shape or form 
And I want to hit on like for you, what was that experience? How did you know that it was different? There were two other times that I had had suicidal ideation that felt the way that that one did. And they were the only two other times that it scared me because it felt more real. Um, And so for me, most of the way that I experience it is like some sort of just like intrusive thought where like, I'll be driving down the highway and I'll be like in the left lane. I'm about to pass under a bridge. And for like a split second, I see myself like crashing into the like bridge support or something like that. Or I'll be like, you know, standing on like an escalator and for like a split second, I'll just see myself like diving over the edge and there's no desire to do it exactly. It's just like a, oh, if I went over the edge here, I'd probably die. Hmm. You know, it's like most of it was like passive. It was passive thoughts or like things like, well, I guess I could just like kill myself and I wouldn't have to do that thing anymore, but it wasn't a desire to do it right? Most of the time when it came up and it was more of like a, more than just a passing thought, it was a very clear awareness that like, I don't want to live like this, but it wasn't like, I wish I was dead. And this time, and then two other times there was actually like, I felt a longing or a desire to no longer be here, not just a sense that something needs to change and I don't know how to change it. So I feel trapped. And that was the thing that I was like, oh, this is really important information because this other stuff is like a a bird, like crossing over me. And maybe it's like wings brush the top of my head or something, but this was more like a bird, like pecking me in the face and it required immediate attention. And the, the two other times that it happened, uh, the first time I left my full-time job to go work for myself full-time, this was back in 2006. Um, the second time was shortly after I moved here and I was due for a significant, um, shift in my job role and also some changes in like the arrangement in my home life to make things more sustainable for me because it wasn't going well. And so those things radically changed. And then the third time was when I left my job and and went back to the thing that I really needed to do. Because the the theme across all of them is like places where I am saying no to myself in order to say no to other people to the point that I, that I don't like exist anymore. Right. And my body and my brain are like, we don't exist anymore. What's the fucking point. Right. And like, that's, that's sort of what was different about those times. And each of them caused me to make a, a radical shift in my life to align my life with what I actually need to be who I am. Yeah. And I think that's, it's so um, important to see that those shifts were times where your life force was literally just like so low that it was not worth it. Um, Mm -hmm. And also for anybody who's listening, please get help and seek support. Any support can, that can, you know, give you some type of relief. It makes you feel like not as alone. And there is also, you know, medication and like always methodologies, modalities that can help relieve whatever that pressure is if you are feeling um, like you want that and there's nothing wrong with it. But I can totally relate to that. And um, it is a very scary situation when it feels real like that. So please, mm-hmm. anybody who's listening, go get support if you need it. Can I yes. something to that? So I also want to just add, there are, there are so many pathways to support and whichever one feels right for you is the right one. 
So like if it's, you know, calling, um, you know, like the suicide hotline, great, do that. If it's calling like a pure warm line in your state and like, Jen, maybe I can give you some like links to resources and you can like drop them in the show notes or whatever. Um, do that. If it's like, you know, getting together with some specific friends and having a conversation, do that. If it's going to a peer support group, do that. If it's talking to your primary care doctor, if it's going to the emergency room, if it's like getting on the books with a therapist or a psychiatrist, whatever it is that you're willing to do for yourself, do that. Because whatever the thing is that's going on, it can keep for 24 hours and you can give yourself a little bit of breathing room to figure out what your options are. Because I guarantee there's at least one other option and you may decide you don't want it. And like, that's your right. You can do that. But I want you to have all of the options in front of you so you can make a fully informed decision and you don't leave options on the table that could have gotten you the thing that you wanted just because you couldn't see them at that moment. Whatever it is, it can keep for 24 hours. Just pick anything that you're willing to do for yourself and buy yourself that time to have some breathing room. And then you can figure out what the next steps are. 100%. All those links will be in the show notes, guys. So that all being said, tell me how life has improved for you and like how you are, well, I'm assuming, right? Experiencing joy or life, time, money, um, self-care, family, all these like different things that kind of make up our life. How are you experiencing that differently now that you listen to that intuitive pull that something mm-hmm. needed to change and then put the action into it? I think before I tell you that, I want to first talk about how I cried for the first two months after I left my job. <laughs> oh, yes. A hundred percent. That's all because, part of the process. Because I think that's a really important part of the story because because it, it wouldn't like the other stuff won't make as much sense without that context. Right. So I left my job and I had worked there for 12 years. I mean, I had done that for a really long time and I, you know, had a lot of responsibilities. I worked a lot of hours. And so the first day I woke up without a job, I was like, I was planning to sleep until noon and my body woke me up at like seven. And I was like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Like I am supposed to be a woman of leisure and this is fucking ridiculous. Like it's not even eight o'clock in the morning. What is happening here? Um, so it took a couple weeks for me to kind of like adjust to a different schedule just in my body, but I was plagued by this constant feeling that there was something else I should be doing that. Like I had missed something that I had forgotten something. I realized that I had had a lot of habits from work where like, I would be like constantly talking on like Microsoft teams with my employees all day. I'd be like checking in with my boss I'd be checking in with coworkers. And like all of these like systems that had me interacting with people in meaningful ways that like were very tied to my job and I had to create new ways to do them. And so that was really weird and it was very uncomfortable. And I actually experienced physical symptoms of withdrawal, Jen, because I had been so like bathed in adrenaline and cortisol and dopamine all the time from this constant stream of external validation from my job that it was like, I had been like mainlining the validation drug and someone like ripped it out of my arm. And I like immediately went into withdrawal. I was like nauseated. I would like sweat. I was shaking. Like, this is like a real thing. And it was super uncomfortable. And I was like, 
I was like medically safe. Like I was fine, but I was sure I was going to die. And that I had made like a terrible mistake because it's a good thing. And why does it feel so bad? And what really had to happen was for me to really just let myself fall apart and grieve the loss of like that particular experience and that relationship and just grieve the ending of that phase because I had not given myself permission to be fully with those feelings. I hadn't given myself permission to like feel the terror until there was nothing else to distract me from it. And it was really, really hard. And I still remember a call in a a mastermind that you and I were in together at that time. It was December 28th, uh, 2021. And I had a stomach virus. I'd like actually made myself ill because I was still like, I was at the end of it, but I was still like processing this. And I had so much shame because I'd taken so much vacation and hadn't earned it. And like, you know, all this shit I was telling myself. So I had a stomach virus and I'm like in my bed, in my robe with my laptop and a bucket in my lap because I'm like, sure, I'm going to throw up and I'm bawling to our mutual coach, Simone. And I remember saying to her, like, Simone, what if I can't hack it? And she looked at me and she said, Kristen, look at you. You're a sobbing mess. You're completely falling apart. This is hacking it. This is you hacking it. This is you feeling your emotions. And when you stop trying to problem solve for your own humanity and just radically trust in the genius that is Kristen King, you're going to see it. And then she asked me, what would you do if you radically trusted in that genius? And I said, well, I wouldn't be sobbing with a bucket in my lap. Like, I think I would just be doing the work. And she was like, I think you would too. So how about you just go do that? And that was the day that I realized that my humanness, my humanity, my emotions, my pain, my joy, my passions were an asset, not a liability. And like, despite the fact that I have been doing, you know, mental health work and coaching stuff since, you know, like basically my whole life, but like actively and aggressively since the early 2000s, I still hadn't gotten that yet. To that moment that like my humanness isn't a problem that needs to be solved. It's just an experience that needs to be had. And that that is not like counter to my being able to be a successful business person. And like everything shifted. Like I woke up the next day, it was like a whole new world. And it was like how I thought it was going to feel leaving my job. And so I like went on the next month to make $20,000. I went on the month after that to make $80,000. I went on the month after that to lose my ever loving shit again, because I was like, money is for other people. What is happening? Why do people keep giving it to me? Right. And then I like got my shit back together and like, you know, and, and it started a cycle and about every four months, something happens. And my brain is like, nope, we're all going to die. And it's going to be your fault. But now I'm like, oh, there's that thing again. And instead of it knocking me out for like four weeks, I have like four rough hours and I carry on and it's amazing. And it's allowed me to do things like I went to Europe by myself last year for a writing retreat and like went and saw like a bunch of countries on my own. And I was so proud of myself. It was really fun. I went to Mexico with some girlfriends from the internet in September and had a blast. Like I go camping with my family all the time and, you know, do all of this like great stuff. I take yoga, you know, like things that I never let myself do before. 
because I just, I thought they were for other people. And I thought I had to be better, smarter, have fewer feelings, like way less buy Gucci belts and actually wear them. Like I had all these like prerequisites of like things I had to do. And then once I got through that experience of realizing that like my emotions and my feelings are an asset, not a, like a, a flaw or a weakness, then everything opened up for me. And it's been amazing. And I still have some days for, like I said, I'm sure we're all going to die and it's going to be my fault. And I've made a terrible mistake and whatever, but it's, but it's like, it's, it's more like the bird wings passing over my head than like me standing at the top of the stairs, you know? A hundred percent. So I, I'm so curious. There's two parts that I really want to ask you about. One, how did you integrate this idea that your humanity is not a liability and it's just something that you need to experience? How did you actually integrate that knowing that you can just kind of trust yourself and let yourself be human, go through the human experience? Like what does that really look like and what does it take? And then also, how are you able to allow yourself to receive troves of money, um, allow yourself to actually enjoy those trips that you go on instead of feeling like it's not for you or guilty or anything like that? Yeah, it's um, so both of them still like require management. Like I have to still attend to them because they're it's it's not like the first time I'm riding a bike, like I kind of know what I'm doing, but I'm still like when the terrain's a little rocky, I have to really concentrate, right? Um, so I'm still working on them. But I would say in terms of like integrating the the idea that my humanity is an asset, I started thinking about what do I look for in the people that I trust. And what I realized is that I don't trust people who don't fuck shit up. I do not trust people who are like put together all the time, who I sincerely believe have never in their life one day yelled at their children, like I, whose houses are always clean. Like, I don't trust those people. Cause I'm like, are you real? Are you hiding something? Like you cannot relate to me. It's not that I think that we should like all regard them with suspicion or anything like that, but I have a very hard time connecting to people who I perceive as having a dramatically different life experience from mine to the point that like my everyday struggles are unrelatable and having that awareness for myself and knowing like what I look for in other people and what, what puts me at ease and like who I admire. I don't admire those people because they're perfect and everything works all the time. And like, you know, a plus across the board, gold stars, everything. I admire them because they're not perfect and they keep showing up and like, they love me and they let me love them. And like realizing that gave me so much permission to just show up in my humanity. Like before that realization, you probably remember this post too. I never would have posted a selfie of myself sobbing in the bathtub while eating a Pop-Tart. I never would have done that. But I had a day where I was really having a hard time and all I wanted was to get in the bathtub and eat an obscene number of Pop-Tarts. And so that's what I did. And I took a picture and I wrote a post about it because other people need to know that you're allowed to cry in the bathtub or the shower or whatever with the snack of your choice. And it doesn't mean that you're a failure as a human being. And like that kind of shit matters. It matters for me and it matters for me to do it so other people can get the things that I have gotten from it. And if I'm going to try to like teach people how to like live authentic lives and throw away the bullshit and the artifice and to be, to be like authentically themselves and create space for themselves. I've got to go first. I cannot expect people to do something I'm unwilling to do. 
So part of it was the awareness and part of it is I'm like a stubborn bitch from New Jersey and <laughs> this is how we roll. <laughs> yeah. Snaps and claps for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, um, I love that. Do you, you want to say anything about that before we talk about like the money stuff? So one thing I, I do want to uh, kind of touch on here and get your thoughts on is a lot of us are conditioned to want to look picture perfect, to want to have like everything in its place and be able to do all the things, clean all of our dishes, go to bed on time, have the routines, whatever, whatever, whatever. And we're also taught that that's what's needed to be successful. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear that it's like, that's the type that's like, oh, wait, no. Where do you think the balance lies between what is realistically possible for people to achieve if that desire is, um, mostly manufactured how much of it is valid you know like just what are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on on all of that yeah well this is something that like comes up with my clients a lot because most of my clients are gorgeous brilliant ambitious women who have like a bajillion ideas and like it's very important to them to like deal with those ideas responsibly like most of them have a family Um, and like, and they take their roles and their responsibilities very seriously and they want to do it all right. And that's like way too much for one person to do. Like you can't be a hundred percent career, a hundred percent parent, a hundred percent partner, a hundred percent housekeeper, a hundred percent chef all at the same time. Like you just can't it's, and like, you can try for a little while, but like at some point your body is going to stop you, whether you like it or not. So one of the things that I, I often coach them to do on the front end is to essentially lower their standards because like I, and that was like when, before I had kids, I had three dogs, I had two Mastiffs and a pug and like the Mastiffs were like horses that lived in my house. And people would always say to me, like, how do you keep your house clean with all these dogs? And I would say, you know, the first step is just dramatically lower your standards and there's no step two. <laughs> and people are like, what? And so like, I use that with my clients all the time because they hold themselves to these very high standards that like, I have to be like a top performer, but then I also have to get home on time and make dinner from scratch. And everyone needs a bath every night and the house must be spotless and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, I mean, you can do all of that, but like at some point you probably want to sleep. You probably want to bathe. You probably want to have sex. You probably want to sit around and do nothing. And like, if you're doing all of this stuff at maximum effort, there is nothing left. So we go through and we look at the stuff that they can deprioritize. Like I had one client, she was working full-time. She had three little kids. And every night after the kids went to bed, she would mop the entire house. And I was like, girl, why are you mopping the whole house every night? She's like, well, I have the baby. I'm like, well, what the fuck do you think the baby is doing? Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, this is not like this is not necessary. Like, your house is fine. Like, if there is a spill, you just clean it up. Like, you just get some like Clorox wipes and rub it around with your foot. Like, you are good to go. And you just like mop on Saturday mornings. Let's try it. And so she tried it out for a couple of weeks to stop mopping the house. And she was very not to stop entirely, just only do it once a week. She's very uncomfortable. So then she started like cleaning out the kids' closets. And I was like, er, hold on a second. They're supposed to be sleeping. You're supposed to be sleeping. You can just put a garbage bag in their room and tell them anything that doesn't fit when they try it on, put it in the garbage bag. And then you don't even have to clean out the closet. She's like, but it'll take longer. I'm like, so what? 
why is that a problem? And she's like, oh my God, I guess it's not. Right. So it's like, we have to like, kind of snap people out of this, this idea that everything has to be a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. And like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll even give the example of like, cause like you can have it all, like all the things you want, you can have them. You just can't have them simultaneously. Just like you can inhale and you can exhale, but you can't do them at the same time. You can even do them real close together. I'd recommend it if you wish to stay alive, but you can't inhale and exhale simultaneously. You will suffocate and you cannot be a hundred percent of five things simultaneously. So you got to prioritize. You got to let some shit go. You got to like hand some stuff off to other people. And like, we do this in my one-on-one work. We do this with my group, a hundred days to fewer fucks. Like we spend a hundred days rooting out all of these places that people's fucks are getting like sucked off to so they can reel them back in and point them to shit that really matters. And when people get that like pause to think and that kind of like reality check of like, no, I don't actually like doing this at all. I just feel like I'm stuck doing it. That's where we start to create some space and how we start to kind of get, get away from that like perfection thing. And it is still a lot of conditioning. Sometimes we got to like update the brains of the people we live with. So their expectations match the new reality, but it's like totally doable if you desire to do it and you don't actually desire to do all of those things that are exhausting you. Yeah, I love that so much. And I think the the thing I want to add to that is this idea of taking pressure off because the thing is like you can have the desire for a clean house for, you know, doing all the things, um, crossing all your T's, dotting all your I's essentially in your life, but to check in with your own physical body and how it feels, because if it feels like something that is adding pressure and it is stressful to do, then it's not helpful. But um, if you can let yourself, essentially, when you say lower expectations, my brain also goes to take away that pressure uh, and find your natural flow. Because for me, like today, for example, when whenever I don't put pressure on myself to do chores or to clean up or to go grocery shop or whatever, are the times where I actually find myself more likely to get in a flow of doing that. Like I randomly wanted and just started <laughs> cleaning out the bathroom counter, like, and, and the cabinets underneath that. It's been a mess for the last nine, 10 months probably, but it was never on my to-do list. I had zero pressure. And so I went to go do that. And it kind of reminds me of like all the things that you have to get done of like go grocery shop or clean the dishes or all the things that are in your face that would traditionally be on the to-do list. I don't think most people have traditionally like go clean out every cabinet like every week, right? <laughs> right. And, kind of sh- and then and then when you go, you want to clean, but you don't want to do that one specific thing. You go and like clean the cabinet or you go clean the closet, like the thing that wasn't on your to-do list. It's like, what if we just didn't put like organize and clean and all these things on our to-do list and let ourselves flow and do it? chances are you will actually do it. So I want to give that perspective too, that there's also hope. It's not like you just have to lower your expectations and then you'll get to it when you get to it or it won't get done. It will actually allow you to get those things done with ease and that's possible. Exactly, exactly. Because the thing is, it's not like lower your expectations don't want things. It's lower your expectations, do things at a reasonable level that actually makes sense for you and matches your desire. Like you don't have to be fucking Martha Stewart. I hate cooking. I hate cooking. My husband loves to cook. And I used to give myself so much shit 
for how much I hate cooking and like how my kids were going to like, I don't know, get scurvy or something. Cause like, I just kept giving them chicken nuggets, but like, they're not like, they're fine. They're like way too smart. Maybe I should have given them more chicken nuggets. I have no idea. There's nothing wrong with chicken nuggets. Like your kids are going to be fine. Your house is going to be fine. And a lot of times people like sort of resist the idea of like letting go of the reins or like loosening the grip. Cause they'll say things like, if I don't make myself do it, then it will never get done. And that's simply not true. Like, you're not going to let yourself like live in squalor for the next 10 years because you decided not to stay up until two in the morning doing dishes that could wait until tomorrow. That's just not going to happen. You're not going to let that happen. It's not even something you need to worry about. Tell me how this has shown up for you or continues to show up for you in your business where things just seem really important that you have to get done or whatever and either allowing yourself like seeing that that's not a priority or however you manage that. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of ties back to the money question that we, that you had us earlier and then we kind of went in a different direction. Like I, I used to have this belief that like I had to be, and this, I mean, this was like through my whole career. It wasn't just through like self-employment, but also through like traditional employment that like I had to be perfect. I had to do everything perfectly, which is really at odds with this like authenticity piece. And so I'd put a lot of like pressure on myself to have like every sales call be like the most life-changing conversation anyone had ever had, or like every piece of marketing had to be like fucking Hemingway and like, you know, somehow like rain unicorn tears on everyone who read it or something like that. Like it was very, it was like, it was absurd. It was really ridiculous. And I didn't realize I was doing it, but I started to feel like sensations of stress or tightness in my body or I'd feel a sense of like guilt or shame when I asked someone if they wanted to work with me and they said, yes, like I, I would notice these little clues where I was sort of like, I was getting the results I wanted, but I was telling myself I didn't deserve it. And so I had to stop and look and say, what is really my job here? And I really only have like a couple of jobs. Like I have to keep my kids alive. I have to keep myself alive. I have to show up as best I can whenever I can. I have to tell the truth the best I know it at any opportunity when it's like feels safe for me to do so. And I just have to love people. And as long as I do that, I'm doing my job because that shit is enough. It's just enough. And like it has taken a lot of, um, practice and reminding myself and like actively bringing my brain back to this place. Like after I made 80 K in February, I like seriously thought I was going to die because I had gotten all of this money. And at any moment people were going to find out that like, I hadn't cleaned my cabinets out for nine or 10 months or something like that. And then they were going to want it back. And I was like, that is ridiculous because nobody has hired me on the basis of the contents of my cabinet, they hired me because they want to rent my brain. That's why they hired me. And that's, I'm good at that. I know how to do this. And so it has just been constantly showing myself, showing myself, showing myself and noticing the places where I start to like creep into hustle mode. I mean, like, this is not how I want my life to feel. What would feel better than this? Right. And like, I, initially I'd have like this complicated business strategy. I do this thing and that thing, and here's the calendar and whatever. 
And I've gotten my business strategy down to three steps that I'm, I'm willing to share for free. Do you want to hear what they are, Jen? You've, you've heard them before, but you, should the rest yes. of the world here. Ooh, if you're ready to simplify your life, which is actually sounds a lot easier than it is <laughs> and kind yeah. of scary, but if you're ready for it, let's go. Okay, here we go. Step one, fuck around. <laughs> Step two, find out. Step three, repeat for infinity. That's it. Like the only strategy you need for business, for life, for parenting, for anything else is just fuck around and find out. And if you find out you like it, keep doing it. If you find out you don't like it, fuck around some more and see what happens with that thing and then keep doing it or don't. Like that's literally it. Just fuck around and find out. It doesn't have to be perfect. You're already ready already. And like, this is fine. Just fuck around and find out. And everything else flows from that, truly. Because that's where you let yourself get into the flow. Yes. And I want to invite everyone listening to really actually sit with what does it look like to, for you to just fuck around right now? Because um, what it's going to actually probably look like is a lot of fear of, well, what if I don't do it right? What if I don't do fucking around right? <laughs> what if I don't find yeah. out anything? What am I supposed to be asking myself? Blah, 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 blah. And that is the uncertainty that we as humans feel so uncomfortable, so feel so afraid of and resist to the point of hurting ourselves and living lives for decades that we absolutely hate that make us want to die um, and all these other things. So what's the harm in having a little fun? <laughs> yeah. And that that's why that the, the three steps are so important because the point of fucking around isn't to do it perfectly on the first try every time and then be a robot forever. The point is to find out. So regardless of the result, if you found out, you did it right. Because all, all you're doing is gathering data. Maybe your hypothesis is no one will die if I go from mopping every day to every other day. Try it and see what happens. And if no one dies and you want to like titrate it down a little more, then maybe try mopping twice a week and see if anybody dies right? I guarantee there is no documented case of someone dying from their house only being mopped once a week. Guaranteed. I'd put all the money I made this year on that fact, right? So like whatever these things are that we tell ourselves, I can't do that. I can't only open the mail on Fridays. I have to open it every day and respond to every document immediately. I mean, maybe, I don't know, like you, like work for the federal reserve or something. And that's like literally part of your job, but outside of that situation, no, you fucking don't. So like fuck around with different schedules and see what works for you. Cause if you find out whether you like it or not, or whether it works, you fucking nailed it. It doesn't matter if it went well or not. The point was to find out perfection, yes, not yes. required. Yes. This is all so good. And I just want to wrap up with one final question. I know for you, authenticity is your number one value. Um, I am literally the same way I had to like, because we did this exercise where we had to make a values compass and figure out like what are our values within that. And I was like, what does authenticity really mean? So I want to ask you, <laughs> what does authenticity really mean for you? And how do you um, bring yourself back to that? Oh, that's such a good question. So authenticity is 
it's twofold, right? There's two levels of authenticity. And I know I look really emotional right now because I just like sneezed, but I might get really emotional because I love talking about this. (laughs) So there's the first level of authenticity where you tell yourself the truth and being authentic with yourself about the things that you're proud of, about the things that frighten you, about the things that make you sad, and just really allowing yourself to tell yourself the truth about that stuff, about the things you want, about the things that you're jealous of, about all of this stuff and give, give space for that and give yourself as much compassion as is available to you in that moment. That's one level of authenticity. But then there's another level of authenticity, which is how you show up in the world. And you don't, you don't have to like walk around naked to be authentic but you're allowed to tell yourself the truth and you're allowed to tell other people the truth. And it doesn't mean that you have to go around like teaching lessons to people who need to learn them or something that may not be your job. But like, if someone asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, you get to just say no. If something brings you to tears, you get to just cry. If someone says, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Is that okay with you? And it's not, you get to tell them. Like you're allowed to show up with who you really are and with your fun parts and your less fun parts and your messy parts and your, you know, perfect appearing parts, even though you know that like, there's not really anything that's actually perfect. Like you just get to do that. You get to be in your life as you, and you don't have to try to be in your life as somebody else. And it starts though, with you being authentic with yourself and giving yourself space for that truth. Mm, so good so good all about the truth all about truth telling here so if you guys want to find Kristen and you know have a truth teller by your side where can people find you how can they work with you um so the two best ways to find me are going to be on um Facebook and Instagram or on my website on Facebook and Instagram I am Kristen with an e k-r-i-s-t-e-n Scove, S-K-O-V-E, King on both of those. And then my website is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, King.com. And I'm actually currently enrolling in the next round of my group program, 100 Days to Fewer Fox. It kicks off in February. And for folks who register by New Year's Eve, there are some super fun early bird bonuses, including a workshop entitled, you ready for this? fuck resolutions, write your manifesto that we will be doing the first week in January. So if you want in on that shit, come find me and let's make that happen. Or if you prefer to work one-on-one, I also have four spots open for January. So feel free to find me on socials or hit me up on my website. Ooh, all the links to that will be down in the description. Uh, we didn't say fuck as nearly as many times as I thought we were going to, um, but hope you all learn something really fucking good for you and i'll see you next time